0: Bim Bim Welcome back to the Align Podcast. That was a little strange. I'm gonna keep it. I'm your host, Aaron Alexander. Welcome back to the Align Podcast. To- Today, I got to speak to the one and only Mr. Ben Greenfield from bengreenfieldfitness.com. Ben is a professional athlete, he is a blogger, he is a podcaster, he is a professional human guinea pig, and he is a wealth of knowledge. It was such a fun time getting to chat with Ben today. I know you guys are going to love this conversation. We ended up chatting about what in the world is cold thermogenesis, what is the value of heat for your body when you're training, how to effectively raise a family in the modern day and age, and much, much more than that. Ben also helped me out with figuring out what I got to do to train for an ultra marathon that I got coming up here in five weeks. I don't like running very much. I don't assume a lot of people out there like running very much. Here's how you
1: get great at running really far without doing that much running. There is no rule that you have to have it all or do it all. Um, But basically getting yourself to the point where you're very, very comfortable running at 90 plus RPM. I mean, there's a whole host of things, but the main thing is helping your children become more resilient. I'm constantly encouraging my children to get outdoors. So
0: all sorts of great information we got into this episode. I so greatly appreciate your comments and your shares on iTunes. Uh, They determine the visibility and the ranking of the show. We can't do it without you. I love reading the comments. And be sure to check out the website, AlignTherapy.com. That's A-L-I-G-N-Therapy.com. On there, you will find my blog. You will find this podcast and the show notes and information about the guests. Uh, You'll find hundreds of absolutely free videos on functional movement and self-care techniques and how to get the most out of your body. Uh, As well, you can check out the online coaching where we break down exactly what you need to be doing with yourself in order to get exactly exact results that you want from your movement practice. And there's probably some other really great stuff on there as well that you'll check out. But we got to get back to the show. Here we go. Mr. Ben Greenfield. Thank you for listening. Align podcast. Um, What was that transition like? What got you away from just adding mass and moving more linearly and posing into being more of an athlete?
1: I actually started off as an athlete. I was a high school and collegiate tennis player. Oh, so um, from there, I, I got into water polo. I played middle for the men's volleyball team. So for me, bodybuilding was actually the least athletic of the sports that I'd done up until that point. So really, the the bigger uh, challenge was making the transition from a fast switch explosive sport like bodybuilding into a slow twitch sport like like endurance, right? Because I've been immersed in, for example, Ironman triathlon for the past eight years, and that was a little bit more. Of a struggle, it required me to do things like lots of long fasted workouts to cannibalize muscle, and it required uh, a lot more, you know, conversion of fast switch to slow switch muscle fiber through, you know, more endurance work. It required um, losing my vertical and no longer being able being able to, to dunk a basketball. So. You know, it it was kind of an interesting switch, but my my background has basically been taking up new sports, new challenges, you know, everything from obstacle racing to tennis to bodybuilding to water polo, volleyball, um, you know, cycling, you name it, and figuring out the best ways to hack that sport from a nutrition and a performance standpoint, and then uh, trying to help other people achieve success cool man and so i have an ultra marathon
0: coming up in like one month or five weeks or something like that and i don't really care for running very much Mm -hmm. at all. but i'm kind of doing i have like a ballet coming up too i like to like put myself in really random positions and try and see
1: you You have a ballet coming up i swear to god i
0: got a ballet coming up <laughs> but ultra marathons happening too, And with that, what's the best route for a person that might be kind of more, maybe not the lazy end, but they don't really feel like going out and running, you know, say running 30 miles to train for an ultra marathon, which that seems like that's probably a bad idea in the first place. What would your approach be for a person if that's the case?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of times people who do get into an ultra marathon or ultra marathoning or even marathoning have the impression that the most important part of the training week is that long, slow death march that they do every Saturday or sometimes even twice a week, right? Like the two or the three or the four hour run when in fact the human body, because we cool ourselves very well, right? Through, through sweating and evaporation because we are upright and we're also able to, the for ourselves a little bit better because of that uh, because we have really, really good hip extension and nice big glutes. We have the smarts to be able to carry nutrition and hydration with us. We have a higher slow twitch muscle fiber capacity. We've got this whole set of skills that actually make us pretty dang good at going for long periods of time, even in the absence of a lot of, of training for going long periods of time. And Our weaknesses tend to be things like strength, cadence, Power, efficiency, and economy of movement, and some of these things that we're we're best um, we'd be we'd be better served spending our time on compared to just like going out there and moving for long periods of time. So if you were training, for example, for something like ultra marathoning, you would want to include some really long periods of time spent on your feet. For example, you could do like it appears you're doing right now, and and you know stand while you're while you're working. Um, That's one thing. That can help you to train all those tiny core and foot muscles without actually being out there pounding the pavement and getting a lot of the the hormonal and the metabolic downsides of long periods of time spent running. You would want to do strength work and specifically strength work that builds up high amounts of lactic acid in muscle tissue. So I'm a big fan for like marathoners and runners of doing uh, lower impact strength work at either a super slow rate, right, or even an isometric rate. So doing something like like, uh, isometric workouts, similar to like, if you were to do a search for, um, for Jay Schroeder on, on YouTube, he's got a lot of, of isometric strength training techniques that he uses, for example, with like professional football players. And that's where you would just basically get yourself to the point where you could do a squat hold for five minutes, a lunge hold on each leg for five minutes, some kind of a really good plank hold for five minutes, a, a door frame pull up for five minutes, basically getting yourself to the point where you can just hold positions. For a long period of time, because you increase your lactic acid buffering enzymes in a low impact environment, right? So you've actually got some oomph in your joints to be able to devote to your runs when you actually do run. So from a strength training standpoint, not a whole lot of the power lifting, not even a whole lot of the traditional tempo-based strength training, but more of the isometric and the super slow. Another really, really good resource for the super slow stuff would be uh, Doug McGuff's book, Body by Science. All right, so so in that book, you're typically spending ten to thirty seconds on a single repetition. Again, producing a huge amount of peripheral blood pressure, pushing blood back into the heart, getting a really good cardiovascular training effect, a really good lactic acid buffering effect. But again, relatively low impact because you are going to experience some impact in your run training. And then for your runs, um, really really big focus on cadence, efficiency, and economy. So I do like a treadmill for that, for setting a treadmill at a speed that puts you at a cadence that you're slightly uncomfortable with. Downhill running can work in a pinch, but it's a little bit uh, tougher on the body than having a moving belt underneath the body. Um, but basically getting yourself to the point where you're very, very comfortable running at 90 plus RPM, right? Like fast foot turnover to improve your efficiency and economy. Um, and then also making sure that you get the most bang for your buck out of your run. So for example, you would have one day where you're doing all skill-based training, right? Skills, drills, cadence work, um, and focus on, on form essentially. And then using that to, uh, to, to translate those skills into your other sessions that you do during the week, which would be, for example, let's say we were going to run four times a week to get ready for an ultra marathon. You'd have a half hour of skill training and cadence training and treadmill training on one day. You would have a hill workout, right? To build strength, like really steep hills on another day where you're, Charging up the hill and either walking or running easily down the hill, you'd have one day where you're doing more track work, right? Like more kind of like mid-level tempo work, anywhere from like one to four minute intervals where you're mostly working your your glycolytic energy system, right? Which is going to upregulate your mitochondrial density in the same manner as long, slow workouts will, but at at, uh, at a higher intensity and a lower volume. And then finally, you would have one day that is a little bit more of like your quality day where you're going out and doing like a, a trail run for 60 to 90 minutes with some intervals, getting used to spending a little bit more time on your feet, but still less time than a traditional ultramarathoner might use, you know, going three plus hours, for example. And Typically, you really only need, if you want to, if you want to build up a lot of stamina, a lot of endurance, about once a month in terms of a really, really big run, right, where you're actually out there for, you know, two to four hours. But you definitely don't need to be doing that every week. So, in a, in a perfect world, that's the type of ultramarathoning program that I think works really well. If if someone told me today, hey Ben, go out the door and run an ultramarathon, that's the type of training program I'd be doing. That type of strength, a couple times a week, running four times a week, using those type of sessions that are just Described um, with one of those runs being a little bit longer, then everything else is just you know recovery or biohacking, right? Like doing a lot of cold thermogenesis to work on your nitric oxide production and your recovery, doing some sauna work to work on your erythropoietin and your blood re- your your red blood cell production, doing a lot of foam rolling and mobility work to make sure that your body stays sound and put together for that amount of time you're going to spend on your feet. Um, all those kind of little things that fly under the radar. Awesome, man, and so that's.
0: One of the things I think that I, what I see oftentimes with people, especially endurance athletes, is they end up just digging themselves into this repetitive rut where it's like, yes, you're running for an immense amount of time, but you're practicing poor skills. You know, so I love that you're driving towards actually skill training you know, and thinking more about right. you know, the conductivity of your
1: nervous system you know, and what kind of paths are you forming all the time. Right. And, and, and just to expound on that, like the, as, as far as the skill training goes, pay attention to where you're programming that within your week, right? So let's say Saturday is your, is your longer day that you're a little bit more beat up from. You would ideally want your skill training to be at the beginning of the week prior to the other sessions after you've recovered from that longer run. So, you know, 48 hours out. So for example, for a Saturday long run, Monday night or Tuesday morning or Tuesday at some point is when you start off the week with a really intense skill based session for running where all you're doing is focusing on efficiency economy and cadence and then you're able to translate that into the other sessions that you do during the week you have any morning traditions Ben uh, aside from taking a massive dump, uh, dump. yeah yeah yeah. Uh, I die in morning traditions. I mean, I, I I wake up and the first thing I do is I roll over and I grab a, a, a Bluetooth uh, heart rate monitor that I put on and I measure my heart rate variability, right? Like my, my day's strength for my sympathetic nervous system and my parasympathetic nervous system. And based on that score, I'm able to be advised on what I should. Should or should not do that day like typically my score will be above uh, 90 which is a sign of a really healthy and robust nervous system um, with good feedback between the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system uh, to give you an example yesterday I measured and my score was 82 okay so this was a Wednesday and when I looked at the actual frequency of that score which is which is termed the high frequency and the low frequency my low frequency was really good low frequency is a measurement of your sympathetic Uh, Nervous system readiness to train, right? So, um, my low frequency nervous system was good. My high frequency nervous system, my parasympathetic nervous system, which is more indicative of like your readiness for aerobic type of training, that was really suppressed, right? So, on a day like that, I would stay away from any long, voluminous aerobic work and And primarily focus on on short, intense work and vice versa, right? Like, if if your sympathetic nervous system is depressed or your heart rate variability is low, you'd want to stay away from intense work on that day. Um, And and so, it's a really, really good way to just kind of get a measurement of the amount of stress that you're under, whether you need to take a rest day. Like, sometimes both frequency scores are suppressed, and that's just the day where you take it easy or whatever, go do some yoga or go sit in the sauna for a little while. Um, So, I do that, do the heart rate variability, and while that measurement is going, I journal and I specifically journal journal with a focus on gratefulness and meditation. So, what I mean by that is I write down all the things that I'm grateful for that day, what my affirmation is that day, what would make the day great. I actually use something called a five-minute journal for this. And then I close my eyes and I focus on those things. Okay, So, in, in my case, I pray and I thank God for all those things that I'm I'm grateful for. I meditate on them, and then I open my eyes, and I'm typically by that point feeling really well grounded. And I take off the heart rate monitor. I'll roll over, get out of bed go downstairs, put some coffee on, and started to about 10 to 15 minutes of really relaxing kind of flow yoga, which does two things. It lowers blood pressure and kind of enhances your breathing and your relaxation for the day. And then it's also really good. I mean, I know we were joking about the, the morning bowel movement earlier, but it's actually really good for kind of like activating that parasympathetic stalsis in the large intestine, right? When you're twisting and turning as you're doing some of these yoga poses. So I will, uh, after that, grab a cup of coffee, uh, go use the restroom. And then once I'm done with that, typically it's about time to, uh, to greet my children who are waking and kind of get them ready for the day. And typically uh, after I've kind of done my journaling and my heart rate variability, my meditation, my yoga, um, and taking care of business, I'm ready to start the day. And then the very last thing I do is I do, the hardest thing first, right? Whatever on the day that I dread, whether it's like, whatever, writing some monster article or, you know, making some phone call, I kind of dread that type of thing. I'll try and get that over with first before diving into uh, Facebook and email and Twitter and that type of thing.
0: Awesome, man. And so (laughs) you're notorious for uh, biohacking, which I think it's kind of like an overused term. But I think if anyone is able to use it, I think it's you. I think (laughs) I feel like you like kind of pioneered biohacking, which is really I mean, maybe that's just my perspective on it. Do you have any types of like Ridiculous apparatuses. Like, what's your like? What's your most ridiculous biohacking trick or apparatus or thing or whatever that may be? Is there anything that stands out? It's like this is all kind of on the edge. I'm not sure I want to tell people about this.
1: Yeah. Um, two thoughts. First of all, um, in my opinion, I, I agree that biohacking is a term that's overused. I don't really think I'm a consummate biohacker uh, used in the proper sense of the word. I think a biohacker is really someone who's doing something. Like, for example, um, uh, testing their their uh, their their genes or their blood, and doing uh, specific like um, you know genetic therapies, or doing like electrostimulation heavily, or doing the type of things that might even be considered unnatural or unproven and kind of like living on, on the fringe, like the pioneering fringe. Me, I dabble in stuff, but I don't think I'm a, I'm a true biohacker. I actually really do anything that I do first by looking at whether or not it is natural and ancestral. And so most of my workouts are like carrying rocks out in the forest, right? Like a true biohack would probably be like, you know, hooked up to electrodes shocking themselves. Well, you know, with, with cold the thermogenesis strapped over the body. And, you know, I've done things like that, but really, more of what I do is is completely natural. As far as the weird things, the shocking things that you might call biohacks, but that I consider more like either alternative medicine or just like smart training. Um, For example, I have a a hypoxic air generator that is is basically a mask that you put up to your face that simulates 18 to 20,000 feet. And you can just like be sitting there or standing there and typing or working on your computer like you're working on top of Mount Everest, right? Like you can have that on for five minutes and then take it off and then put it on for another five minutes and take it off. That's called intermittent hypoxic training. So I'll do that for like a half hour with a one to one work to rest ratio, for example, to help myself with erythropoietin or red blood cell production. Um, Another one that I'll do occasionally, even though I I just kind of sort of hinted that that I do most of my stuff naturally is to, to when you do like that isometric training that I was talking about, where you're really trying to build up high levels of lactic acid and muscle tissue by not moving the joint through range of motion while you're exercising, you can stimulate even a greater amount of lactic acid production by doing electrostimulation on the muscles at the same time. So for like a a squat hold, you can put electrodes on your quads and your hamstrings using a device like a a Compax, electrostim device, and you can be shocking your muscles with with electrostim contraction while at the same time holding an isometric contraction. That's another example of something I guess you would call a biohack because you're're using, you're using something to, to hack yourself into getting results a little bit more quickly in this case by inducing more lactic acid. And if you really wanted to, to kind of go with a one two3 biohack for something like that, you could use a supplement like oxaloacetate, for example which upregulates the rate at which lactic acid gets converted into glucose via something called the Cori cycle. So it takes lactic acid, helps it to get shuttled back into the liver, converted into glucose, and then shuttled back down into the muscle to be utilized as an energy source. So combining something like oxaloacetate supplements a half hour prior to electrostim plus uh, isometric exercise would be an example of like an exercise biohack. Um, and then there are other things I do that, that I, again, yeah. And I don't really consider biohack as much as like weird alternative medicine stuff. Like, um, I do like about once a week to once every two weeks, I'll do a coffee enema, right. To increase bile production and to kind of, kind of clean out a little bit of my large intestine, you know, and that's literally just what it sounds like. You inject coffee up your butt, you hold it for like 20 minutes. And then I jump on top of my, my squatty potty that I keep in each bathroom in my home, which puts you into a more ancestral defecation position. And, and, uh, that's because it keeps your, your puborectalis angle open and I, I take a dump and that, that, you know, that's kind of a gross biohack, but it's more of like a detox biohack. Right. Um, what else I would hate to end on, on that one. I do a lot of cold thermogenesis over. too. So like I have a, a 60 degree cold pool next to a hot pool at my house. And so like every Wednesday I'll do eight minutes of cold water swimming. And a lot of times I'll do this with hypoxia that I wear a front-mounted snorkel that has something called a cardio cap on top of it. So there's a company called Finis, F-I-N-I-S, that makes a snorkel that you can wear that's mounted on the, on the front of your head, just like a regular snorkel would be on the side. This is on the front, so it's easier to swim with. And then they, they have an airflow restrictor called a cardio cap that can go on top of that. And when you breathe in and out of this thing, you get a huge increase in the strain on your inspiratory and your expiratory muscles, right? So it's good training for your inspiratory and expiratory muscles. And, and, by the way, this is related to your ultra marathon question, hypoxic swimming or breath-restricted swimming has been shown to improve efficiency and economy in runners. So, there's kind of a cool crossover effect there. But, anyways, I'll swim in that cold pool for about eight minutes with the airflow restriction – then I'll get out. I'll get into the hot pool where you get a huge dump of nitric oxide, right? So you, it's like taking a fire hose to your arteries. I'll stay in there for two minutes and then go back into the cold pool and do another eight minutes of hypoxic swimming. And I'll do that three times through, right? So a total of thirty minutes of hot cold contrast. But it's not just you know jumping from the hot into the cold. It's actually doing the, the cold water restricted breath swimming or the resisted breath swimming, and then you do the hot the cold, the hot and the cold. Um, and I don't use chlorine in my pool. I use uh, an enzyme based system and an ozonator so i'm not getting exposed to, to chemicals as i'm doing that
0: awesome man yeah I, I really dig your approach with you know it's it's you you're not a biohacker you are like most of the, when i first started listening to your stuff i kind of thought like that was what i thought it was biohacking you know it's like kind of like how do we cheat the system and the more that i listen to your podcast and your blog and all that you're extremely ancestral you know it's like and i really appreciate that aspect of you of combining you know it's like the the old traditions that worked You know, and then how can we take our new technology and kind of create this balance between the two, you know, and that in my opinion is the most effective form of modern medicine, you know, so I would consider you to be a doctor, you know, a doctor, like the the actual definition of that is teacher, you know, as I think if you go Mm. see a doctor and they just prescribe you with some medication, whatever it is, and they leave you feeling kind of like aloof and not really sure what, what, what just happened there, (laughs) you know, almost defeated. That's not a doctor in my opinion. You know, I I think that, that it's a misuse of the term,
1: you know, so I really, there we go. You just saved me like eight years of medical school and hundreds of thousands of dollars. I appreciate that. Seriously,
0: man. I, I think it's, I think it's a real thing. You know, it's, it's figuring out how do we get people to activate their own internal healing systems, you know, because we are amazing, amazing, robust healing systems, you know, and it's yeah. like, it's just a matter and, of giving it the right information.
1: And with all due respect, I mean, it, a, 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 a well-trained, formally trained physician is someone that I definitely want to go see when I have gotten in a motor vehicle accident or I've broken an arm or I have an intense acute injury that needs to be taken care of right away. But at the same time, you know, you take like, here, here's a, you know, an analogy, right? Like dentistry, right? Like modern dentistry where you're getting your teeth cleaned every month or whatever. I go to the dentist once about every seven to eight years. And that's just a checkup because I get to that point where I wonder, gosh, should I go to the dentist? I mean, is there something that I need to be doing here? And it's because I use a water pick. I do coconut oil pulling right. and I swish with oregano oil. Oil, and then I brush my teeth and I use like a non fluoride based tooth powder. And you know, a lot of times it's a charcoal base, which is actually really great for whitening your teeth. And you know, I just do a few very simple things for my teeth, you know. And and I'm, of course, careful with my diet to do things that don't leach minerals from the body. Like, for example, you know, the, the whole acid alkaline diet has taken a hit recently because everybody says, oh, well, your kidneys and your breath do just a perfect job regulating the pH of your body. So, this whole acid alkaline diet thing is complete bunk. But you do need to remember that even though your your body does a very good job at regulating its pH, one of the ways that it does that is via a mineral-based buffering system. And so if your diet is too acidic, you are going to leach minerals from your body to alkalinize Yourself, and you'll a lot of times leach those minerals from things like bones and teeth. So, you know, I'm I'm careful with with my diet to maintain just a slight amount of alkalinity. You know, like lemons and kale and things like that, with limited amounts of dairy and limited amounts of red meat and some of those more acidic compounds. But ultimately, you know, when you put all those strategies together. Yeah, I rarely go see the dentist for the same reason that I rarely go see a physician and that I don't know what to write when the little intake form for camps I go to and things like that say who's your who's your physician. It's like I don't have one. Right. So
0: yeah. Yeah. I love that. I mean, it's like giving people more power to take care of themselves. You know, what did we do before we had the clinic to go to? We, we had to figure it out. Now we're kind of in this like debilitated, paralyzed position where it's like, we're so dependent upon the medication, whatever it is, when something goes wrong, we're so, we're already so detached from ourselves. We don't know what to do. You know, so we have to yep. seek someone else to fix the vehicle. Like we're like a truck. We're not a truck, you know, like the more into mm-hmm. you can become with yourself, the more profound and impactful you can be with treating yourself with medicine, being earth, being water, being natural organic food, being all the stuff that you get into. So it's just, it's great. Um, quick, we have like just a couple minutes left or a few minutes left. Um, I want to hear... Your approach to raising a family, maybe just a couple things that are like really valuable, because I, I think that that's another thing too. It's like we're exposing our kids to EMS, you know, we're we're exposing our kids to pesticides, we're exposing our kids to all this all this stuff, and ourselves, you know. But it's like the little children, the little babies with the thin
1: skulls, you know. It's like, yeah, what kind of things do we need to be thinking about with that? Yeah. I mean, there's a whole host of things, but the main thing is helping your children become more resilient. So, um, you know, I, I'm constantly encouraging my children to get outdoors. You know, for example, we just, sorry, my phone is vibrating here. Let me drop that on the floor. Um, for example, you know, like last night we, we, uh, had mom lock us out of the house and all we had was my little bug out bag and some sausages, right? Like, and we had to figure out last night how to survive out on 10 acres in the forest for the night. And it was on comfortable, you know, and I slept maybe six hours because I was kind of helping them out and you know, but but you know, those type of experiences for kids getting back out into the wilderness back into nature are really valuable you know, and for Memorial Day weekend here in a month, we're going to do a five day wilderness survival camp where it's just me and my kids and no cell phones or anything like that and we're going to learn how to follow the stars and how to identify wild edibles and how to track plants when we go hiking, we actively look for game trails that go off the path and we intentionally try to get Lost on the game trails, but you know I'm, I'm careful to make sure that I that I mark as we go little ways that help me to know, even if they don't realize how to get back onto that main trail. And then when we finish, I tell them, "Hey, get us back to the trail." Right. And just being able to teach your children—I mean, of course, there's all sorts of things like whatever EMF and and fermented foods and you know avoiding too much video game time and those type of things that you know I think get talked about a lot. But I think that what doesn't get talked about a lot is just like freaking getting your children out there and having them camp, having them get lost in the wilderness, having them learn how to follow the stars when they don't have a compass, all of these skills that I think make for a very stress resilient child, but also a child who's going to be able to survive and a child who's going to have a skill set that hopefully enables them to, uh, to have a, a learning attitude that allows them to grow up to make the world a better place, right? I don't necessarily want my children to be the Unabomber. But perhaps by wandering around in the forest, learning how to identify mushrooms, they will find a cure for cancer, right? So that's the type of thinking that I think you got to have with kids. Awesome, man. So we got to
0: wrap up here. Um,
1: something I ask
0: everybody is if you could go back to a, an earlier version of yourself, at whatever, age, 16, 18, and give yourself some advice, not allowed to cop out and say, every mistake was fantastic. I wouldn't give myself any advice. What would you tell yourself?
1: Uh, You know, I got asked this question. I think it was the London Real podcast asked me this, and my response to them was that I would I would slow down, I would worry less, I would stress less, and if I could expound on that, I would say that I would wake up every day with the attitude that there is affluence of time. Right, there is no need to get it all done. Right. Every little win counts. Every little thing that you do is going to help make the world a better place as long as you have the right mentality. And you don't have to read every article or listen to every podcast or do every biohack you hear about. Just live life. Try out a few of the things that you think are going are gonna to be interesting for you and realize that there is no rule that you have to have it all. Or do it all. And I think that that's a, a really good way to set yourself up for a little bit more stress-free life. Awesome, man. How people? How do people find you? Uh, BenGreenfieldFitness.com is a good
0: place to go. Cool. So, yeah. Awesome. You are a genuine dude. I really appreciate talking to you, man. It's really, really awesome. I appreciate your podcast. I appreciate all the information you put out. It's, it's great. Keep
1: doing it sweet well thanks for having me on Aaron yeah. I appreciate it
0: align podcast thank you so much for tuning into the podcast I greatly appreciate your comments and your shares in iTunes they determine the ranking and the visibility of the show and they make me smile so I look forward to reading those guys be sure to check out the website aligntherapy.com that's a l i g n therapy.com on there you can find my blog you can find this podcast more information about the topics and the and the uh, guests that we've had on the show
1: Thank you for listening, and remember
0: to join the movement by subscribing to the podcast. If the information has been helpful, please share and leave your comments in iTunes. Aaron personally reads each one, and it makes all the work worthwhile. Together, we will make a difference and continue to bring more powerful
1: and inspiring messages to the world. Movement medicine.